Hello and welcome to the New Arab Voices News Digest. I'm your host, Daniel Hijaji, and I will be covering this week's most pressing issues. This News Digest runs in parallel with our bi-weekly long-form show, so be sure to tune in every Friday to listen to our audio reports. This week, we'll be examining the controversial peace deal between the United Arab Emirates and Israel, as well as the verdict on the 2005 assassination of former Lebanese Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri. Just a few moments ago, I hosted a very special call with two friends, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed of the United Arab Emirates, where they agreed to finalize a historical peace agreement. After 49 years, Israel and the United Arab Emirates will fully normalize their diplomatic relations. In a surprise announcement last week, U.S. President Donald Trump said Israel and the United Arab Emirates had reached a peace agreement. The deal would make the UAE only the third Arab country with diplomatic ties to Israel after Egypt and Jordan. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu seemed elated to deliver the news. Well, today we usher in a new era of peace between Israel and the Arab world. I just came from an historic virtual conference between myself, President Donald Trump, and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed of the United Arab Emirates. We announced uh, the establishment of a full and formal peace between Israel and the UAE. It includes the mutual opening of embassies, direct flights, and many, many other bilateral agreements. This is the greatest advancement toward peace between Israel and the Arab world in the last 26 years. The UAE and Israel wasted no time in kicking off their new diplomatic ties, which Middle East observers say amount to a full trade and military alliance. Both countries signed their first trade deal, inaugurated direct phone services, and even began planning a flight corridor. Israel also started scouting an embassy building for the UAE as the Mossad's director paid a visit to the Gulf country. And with the UAE's estimated annual defense budget of $23 billion, Israel stands to gain from sales of arms, cybersecurity, and command and control systems to Gulf states. The peace deal between the UAE and Israel has won praise from a number of countries. The agreement was welcomed by the European Union, as conveyed by EU foreign policy spokeswoman Nabila Masrali. The normalization will be uh, at the benefit of both. Uh, it is important for, uh, for both and for the regional stability. Uh, both countries are our partners. And, uh, and of course, uh, as, as the EU, you know very well that we are committed to a two-state solution. And we are, uh, of course, ready to work on the res- resumption of the negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinians. The deal was also lauded by Arab countries such as Egypt, Jordan, Bahrain, and Oman. But across the occupied Palestinian territories, the all-too-familiar sentiment of betrayal has echoed far and wide. The Palestinians, who have long borne the brunt of the Trump administration's Middle East policy, staged widespread protests against the deal, viewing the UAE as sacrificing the Palestinian cause to gain commercial relations with Israel. The fractured Palestinian leadership was united in its opposition, 
from the Palestinian Authority and the occupied West Bank to Hamas and the Gaza Strip. The Palestinians fear such deals concluded without taking into account their demands to end the occupation means the evaporation of any leverage they may have in future negotiations with Israel. This week, the Palestinian Authority recalled its envoy to the UAE. During a phone call with French President Emmanuel Macron, PA President Mahmoud Abbas affirmed no Arab country has the right to speak on behalf of Palestinians. The UAE initially touted normalization as part of a deal to stop Israel from annexing 30% of the West Bank, with Foreign Minister Anwar Gargash claiming the agreement had dealt a death blow to annexation. However, Netanyahu confirmed that annexation is still on the table, saying he had worked too hard to cancel plans to annex swathes of occupied Palestinian land. The UAE later defended the peace deal as a sovereign decision. In an interview with AFP, Omar Saif Rabash, UAE Assistant Minister for Culture and Public Diplomacy, said the agreement with Israel will shake things up in the region. You know, we didn't consult with anybody, we didn't inform anybody, uh, and you know, as a sovereign state, we don't feel that we have the obligation to do that. I think we've demonstrated that we are able to enter a, uh, a very staid and, and uh, tired um, situation and to shake things up. Uh, and we look forward to seeing um, positive developments coming out of this, uh, real engagement, uh, and hopefully really a two-state solution. Chief Palestinian negotiator Sa'ib Araiqat called the deal a killer to the two-state solution, charging it with strengthening extremists and undermining the possibility of peace. Netanyahu, on his end, has expressed optimism that more Arab countries will follow the UAE's footsteps and normalize ties with Israel. Israel, under my leadership, has made advancement with ties with such countries as Sudan, Oman, Bahrain, and other nations in the Gulf. I have reason to be very optimistic that today's announcement with the UAE will be followed by more Arab nations joining our region's circle of peace. And he's not wrong. Bahrain and Oman are reportedly in talks with Israel and the United States to enter similar normalization agreements. Sudan, on its end, fired a foreign ministry spokesman this week for entertaining the notion of diplomatic ties with Israel. However, the now former spokesman's comments came just months after the leader of Sudan's Transitional Sovereign Council met with Netanyahu in Uganda. The Israeli Premier's office described the February meeting with General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan as a first step towards normalizing ties at the time. After a period of silence, Saudi Arabia stated on Wednesday that peace must be achieved with the Palestinians as a condition for any normalization of relations with Israel. Though on the same day, Trump said he expected the Saudis to join the agreement between the UAE and Israel. Despite talks of delayed annexation plans, Palestinians remain embittered by self-proclaimed allies enabling a stifling occupation. And as many nations celebrate what they perceive to be progress for regional peace and security, deception and disappointment is palpable across the Palestinian territories, as dwindling regional support places their prospects of self-determination on the chopping block. (laughs) 
an international trial revolving around the murder that profoundly impacted Lebanon some 15 years ago has finally concluded. On Tuesday, a UN-backed tribunal in the Netherlands has delivered verdicts in absentia of four members of the Hezbollah militant group accused of involvement in the 2005 assassination of former Lebanese Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri. On Valentine's Day 2005, a suicide truck bombing outside a Beirut seaside hotel claimed the lives of Hadidi and 21 others and left 226 people wounded. The huge blast transformed Lebanon, triggering mass protests that drove Syrian forces out of the country three decades after their intervention in Lebanon's long civil war. Hadidi, a Sunni Muslim, was Lebanon's premier until his resignation in 2004 over Syria's heavy-handed influence in the country's political affairs. The verdicts were delayed by nearly two weeks out of respect for victims of another devastating explosion, the detonation of nearly 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate stored at Beirut's port. The blast on August 4 killed nearly 180 people, injured more than 6,000, left a quarter of a million with homes unfit to live in, and plunged a nation already reeling from economic and social malaise even deeper into crisis. The hearing opened with a minute of silence for victims of this month's blast. David Ray, presiding judge of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon, announced the judges found Hezbollah supporter Salim Ayash guilty as a co-perpetrator of the following crimes. Count 1. Conspiracy aimed at committing a terrorist act. Count 2. Committing a terrorist act by means of an explosive device. Count 3. Intentional homicide of Rafiq Hariri with premeditation by using explosive materials. Count four, intentional homicide of 21 persons in addition to the intentional homicide of Rafiq Hariri with premeditation by using explosive materials. And count five, attempted intentional homicide of 226 persons in addition to the intentional homicide of Rafiq Hariri with premeditation by using explosive materials. The judges said they were satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that Ayash was most likely the user of a group of mobile phones used to scope out Hariri ahead of the attack. However, after a years-long investigation and trial, three other Hezbollah members, Hassan Anesi, Hassan Mar'i, and Assad Sabra, were acquitted of all charges. The judges said the evidence also linked phones to the alleged mastermind of the bombing, Hezbollah commander Mustafa Badreddin, who was indicted by the court but is believed to have been killed in Syria in May 2016. During the trial, prosecutors said that Hariri was assassinated because he was perceived to be a severe threat to Syrian control of the country, as well as an ally to Saudi Arabia and the United States. However, the tribunal's judges said there was no evidence the leadership of Hezbollah and Syria were involved in the attack. Hariri's son Saad, himself a former Lebanese prime minister, was present in the court for the judgment. He later announced his acceptance of the verdict outside the court. I think today's... Uh... I mean, everybody's expectation was much higher than what came out. But I believe that the tribunal came out with a, with a result that is satisfying. We accept it, and uh, we believe that uh, there are still a lot of issues unknown. Hezbollah chief Hassan Nasrallah has refused to hand over the four defendants and rejected the court's legitimacy. A hearing will be held at a later date to determine Ayash's sentence. Though he faces a maximum sentence of life imprisonment, Ayash is likely not to serve time as his whereabouts remain unknown. Observers feared that the verdicts could compound tensions in the tiny country. 
Hariri was Lebanon's most prominent Sunni politician at the time of his assassination, while the Iran-backed Hezbollah is a Shia Muslim group. Karim Trabulsi, the new Arab's managing editor, said the verdicts demonstrate the limited scope of the special tribunal for Lebanon, but possibly precluded sectarian clashes, the last thing a crisis-battered Lebanon needs. I think people in Lebanon have mixed feelings about the verdict. Some are relieved for having avoided another bombshell, but many had expected a direct conviction of Hezbollah and the Syrian leaders, and are now questioning whether it was worth waiting 11 years and spending nearly a billion dollars half of which footed by the Lebanese taxpayer, to convict only one-level Hezbollah operative without proving he had received orders from Hezbollah in Damascus. These Lebanese now fear that the court's verdict will fail to deter future political assassinations, let alone hold those responsible for nearly a dozen assassinations in Lebanon since 2005 accountable, including that of Wissam Aid, the investigator who had developed the telecom's evidence for the court. Already Hezbollah supporters set off fireworks and celebrated the verdict, seeing it as both an exoneration and as worthless. However, legal experts argue that the verdict could set an important legal precedent on which future cases can be built against perpetrators of terrorist attacks in the country, including state parties such as Syria and Israel. In the context of the current crisis following the Beirut blast on August 4, international powers pressuring Lebanon to form a new credible government able to carry out reforms and the powerful Hezbollah to accept a smaller role in government may find the verdict conducive to these efforts in the coming weeks. Regardless of the Hadidi trial's outcome, Lebanese people across sects are still reeling from the Beirut explosion, compounded with the multitude of overarching crises that plague the country. Whether those responsible for Lebanon's current state will themselves face accountability remains to be seen. Thank you for listening to the New Arab Voices News Digest. This episode was hosted and produced by myself, Daniel Hijaji. Don't forget to follow the New Arab on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you next week.